check. Make them little money. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You either go to Facebook at noon Eastern on uh, Friday and you watch the show be recorded live, or you email us ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com, and it gets really exciting from there. Damien Dunn joins me as always. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. All right, Dame, this week, uh, we, we're, we're going to go the Stacking Benjamins uh, Money with Friends shout-outs. It's one of my favorite podcasts, our good friend Joe Saul Sihai, who is the host of Stacking Benjamins, who is a great podcast and show. Um, he always loves to read articles, and then they discuss the articles, which I think is really good. So let's go ahead and do that, because you and I were sharing around an article earlier this week, and... and, and the headline's exciting. It's a good headline. And then you dig into it, and then you and I just start facepalming, right? Because it, it, it gets a little rough. So everybody ready for story hour? This uh, coming from the Associated Press, I got to it via the IBJ.com. That's IBJ.com, the Indianapolis Business Journal. Survey, many in the United States shoring up finances amid downturn. So Dame, right there, you and I are like, I'm in. Yeah, let's let's figure out what this is all about. See if we can replicate it. It's the paradox of a pandemic that has crushed the U.S. economy. 12.9 million lost jobs and a dangerous rash of businesses closing. Yet the personal finances of many Americans have remained strong and in some ways have even improved. A new poll from the APNORC Center for Public Affairs Research finds that 45% of Americans say they're setting aside more money than usual. 26% are paying down debt faster than they were before the coronavirus pandemic. In total, about half of Americans say they've either saved more or paid down debt since the outbreak began. The findings highlight the unique nature of the current crisis. Now, I'm going to jump ahead uh, and, and, and because I want to get to the heat of, of what has really been bothering me. It, it goes to tell some stories, some examples, Dame, of what people are doing. So this is, this is going to seem so judgmental, isn't it? It's kind of what we're here for. Kent Sullivan, a landscape painter from Orlando, Florida. Can we get a quick timeout? How many timeouts do I have per segment? Uh, two. Oh, I'm going to call it 20 then. Dame, what is a landscape painter? If I had to guess, did it say he was in the Southwest? As well? uh, he is in Orlando, Florida. Eh, it might work out. Places where grass tends to die, uh, you hire somebody to come in with a giant spray painter and paint your grass green. That's my guess. All right. Okay. Kent Sullivan, a landscape painter from Orlando, Florida has been making extra mortgage payments. The 68 year old and his wife received $1,200 in direct government payments and hope to own their home free and clear within 18 months. Everything is goes into extra mortgage payments. He says, as an artist, it's feast or famine. You never know if you're going to get a big commission or if the gallery does well. Okay, Dame, this makes no sense to me. Here's what I love. I love when people decide to really care and pay attention and to put all this extra effort and energy towards their finances. But my man, there is a right way and a wrong way to do it. You don't get flexibility and, and and shoring up your finances by making extra mortgage payments during a pandemic. You're right. And I'm going to get back to that. But I just realized what a landscape paint painter is. Oh, they instead of playing portrait, they do landscape? Yeah. No, actually, they go out like they sit at the Grand Canyon and they 
paint the landscape on canvas. That's my guess. That's my oh, second okay. guess. I think that's the better guess. So anyway. you wanted to make this about art and not about the advice. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, well, it's more intriguing, I think, than anything that we're going to have to say. So flexibility. No, you don't have any flexibility. And I think the one thing that this all hinges on, and it's something that it seems like we've come back to maybe more than we have in the past in the last uh, six months, is what's this guy's emergency fund look like? If he's got the emergency fund, maybe. Maybe you can do this, try and free up some cash flow in the next 18 months. I mean, he's, he's a, an older gentleman, if I remember correctly, try and free up some cash flow going into retirement. Although I don't think artists ever really retire. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but maybe there's a, a reason to do this if the emergency fund is there. See, I, I think, I think the popularity of personal finance superstars like uh, Dave Ramsey have got people thinking that paying off your mortgage very quickly always makes sense. Now, I will say, not having a mortgage, I think, is really good at the right time for the right person in the right moment. But I, I Dame, I definitely think in the last 15 years, just the cultural movement towards to have security, I don't want to have a mortgage payment, it's really overblown and oftentimes doesn't actually apply to the particular situations in which people try to employ it. Living costs, housing costs are going to be a part of your budget for, well, ever. Uh, whether you're paying rent, whether you've got a mortgage, whether you've paid off the mortgage, but you still have those pesky taxes and insurance payments, there's always going to be something there. So you have to make sure that you've got that room in your budget. Now, is there times in your life where it's more... Um, accommodating to not have that mortgage payment? Yeah, absolutely. Retirement, when you can re reduce those expenses as much as possible, retirement's a great time not to have a mortgage payment or a rent payment. But to say you're going to get rid of all of your, uh, your, your expenses at some point in your life, that's just not going to happen. You're always going to have those housing costs. Yeah, I think about this situation. I think about the three groups that we tend to talk about a lot these days. The people have been greatly impacted by this recession, right? Th those people should not be paying down debt aggressively, right? If the percentages of this article that say that people are aggressively paying down debt, not all of those people should be paying down debt. Like there's a lot of people that should be paying minimum payments. I, I, I'm going to just say it. 90% of Americans, that's my number right now in this time should only be making minimum payments where the rest of people, uh, the rest of those people should be uh, saving money instead of trying to get out of debt. Because if you don't have stability to deal with the recession, getting out of debt is not going to help you right now. This is uh, advice for the times. If this was 2019, August 28th of 2019, yeah, get out of debt. Go. Good job, painter guy. But this is not August 28th of 2019. We're in the midst of a horrible recession with no end in sight, with 40,000 jobs being cut on October 1st by just American Airlines alone. You're talking about a, a recession that takes us like this, and then October 1st hits, it's going to dive even deeper until we figure out the joblessness problem in this country. So the idea of getting out of debt right now makes zero sense to me right now. Pop quiz. Uh, isn't that from Legal Lethal Weapon? What? Uh, speed. Pop quiz, hot shot. What is it? The speed, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Dennis Sahopper. Yes. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Say it. Do you are you purporting that you think only ten percent of Americans have an emergency fund, an established and funded emergency fund? 
I think only 10% of Americans have three months, three months expenses set aside. Okay. Do, what do you think? High or low on that? Um, I think it might be a little low. I, I think there's a, a vast number of people out there that are vast, maybe a little strong, but I, th- I think there's a fair number of people out there that have quietly done well and, and prepared for situations such as these, and they just don't talk about it. And so they're, they're ready to go. Now, if it came back, it was only 10%. I wouldn't be shocked, but I, at the same time, I I wouldn't be surprised to see that number a little higher either. Uh, You know, let, let let me, let me rephrase that. Uh, I'm using three months expenses as the very 30,000 foot view of stability. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say only 10% of people right now are stable from a financial standpoint and from a employment and income standpoint. Okay. I'm going to go 10% of working Americans. Okay. I've, I think that's a little closer to reasonable. Um, so here, let's do this. Nice. Um, this is my first day on the radio. Uh, Dame, let's take a break coming up after the break. Let's hit my USA today column for the week. It's a tough one. Oh boy. That one hurt. Uh, and then we're going to go ahead and uh, hit questions from Facebook live in the third segment. You're listening to the Pete, the planner show here on the Pete, the planner radio network. And yeah, I just made that up. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Thanks for coming to the show. Here's the thing. I realize that some of you are just in your car. You're going to the hardware store. You turn on the station that you always listen to. And now I'm on it. And you're too lazy to turn the dial and put it on something better. I appreciate your American laziness right now. It actually means a lot to me. Uh, Damian Dunn joins me, the star of the show. Um, Damian, let's hit my USA Today column for this week. It is a nasty one. It is from a guy named John in Alexandria, Virginia. Lovely place, by the way. Dear Pete, both my wife and I have lost our jobs due to the economic downturn. We previously had a household income of $165,000 a year. I've been able to get a job for $15 an hour while I apply for jobs more consistent with my skill set and experience. My wife is coordinating our kids' virtual learning, so it's very difficult for her to find work. I'm likely going to get a second job on nights or weekends, but we're definitely at the point in which we might have to dip into our retirement savings. Otherwise, we won't be able to make our mortgage payment. Are we crazy for doing that? I never thought we would be in a position like this. I want to make sure that I'm thinking clearly. Thanks for any guidance you might offer, John and Alexandria. Oh, man. I mean, look, I I wrote about this and I emailed John back. Um, I'll, I'll say this, Dame. Uh... I'm sorry, John. I know you're not listening right now, but I still want to say I'm sorry you're going through this right now. It's really tough. And and we've often said on this show and everywhere we can, I don't think people should feel a pressure right now to let this moment in history define their character. I think that's putting a lot of pressure on yourself. That being said, I think this period of time will define John's character based on on, on the, what he's done and 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 the decisions he's made. I mean, here's a guy that said, you know what? Fine. I'm going to go take a $15 hour job while I look. I'm going to take on two jobs while my wife helps educate our children virtually. Um, I would like to think I would do something like this too, if I was in this position, Dave. John's clearly hustling right now. He's doing everything he possibly can to make the situation work out as best it possibly can. And he is faced with some inevitably hard choices that countless people are facing as well. We've 
uh, and I say we as in people in the the wellness and finance industry have, I think, had a really consistent message over taking withdrawals out of your retirement account uh, for any reason other than retirement to the point where we've uh, made it almost a taboo or, or a, a don't, don't go there. Now, that message isn't always listened to or heeded. But there comes a time when you don't have much of a choice. Uh, you can't go to the bank to get money uh, that, that you can't pay back to pay a debt that you can't originally pay in the first place. So you're forced to look at the resources that you've got. In this case, it might be a retirement account. And thankfully, I guess the government uh, in this situation has had the foresight to make this a situation that you might be able to correct if things get turned around. Right, Pete? Yeah. So I think generally speaking, uh, I'm with you. You and I are just shouting from the mountaintops. Don't take 401k loans or withdrawals prior to retirement. I mean, I, I feel like I've said it once a week for the last 20 years, minus the last six months. But sometimes it's what's appropriate. You know, I think that's what's wild about a pandemic, a recession, a, a civil unrest and everything else we're all coping with right now is sometimes all the rules that have always applied no longer uh, apply. And, and this is one of those situations. He won't have to pay a 10% penalty because of the CARES Act. He can take up to $100,000 withdrawal without penalty. And he'll have three years to pay the taxes on whatever he takes out. And and Dame, let's say he decides to make a withdrawal and then his fortunes change and he is able to find reemployment at the right income level, then he can just put the money back into the retirement plan and and he'll be fine. I, I think it's when I read this email from from this guy, I thought to myself, okay, here's a guy that has done everything right. <laughs> you know, that 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 seems like a well thought out, planned out guy. And now he's up against something that he never expected. He never deserved. I, I even read into it that he's blown through his emergency fund in this last six months. I mean, that's what I took away from it. He didn't say anything about it, but that's my guess having done this for a while. So now he's to the, the break glass in case of emergency amount of money. And I think he should absolutely after contacting his mortgage company to make sure that they don't have any sort of assistance program. It's funny how often people skip that step, Dame. So whether someone has an FHA mortgage or conventional mortgage, they got a call, right? Yeah. You aren't doing yourself any favors if you don't make a phone call and just ask, tell them, this is a situation I find myself in. Uh, we're going to get you paid one way or the other, but man, some relief would help us out tremendously. And if yeah. they've got a program, good for you. I always find that people put a lot of pressure on that call and they feel the need. It's very strange. And this is anecdotal. They feel the need to embellish their pain to justify their call. And I think that ends up getting them in trouble. I think you have to understand your, your bank does not want to foreclose on you. They don't want to do a short sale. They don't want to do any of that stuff. They want you in the house. So they're on your team. You have to be honest with them, especially if you're seeking their assistance. So don't, you know, don't slow roll them with info. I, I know a lot of times we view banks to be our enemies or our adversaries. But I think in this situation, John's got to call up and be like, hey, here's where I'm at. I've blown through my emergency fund. Can we do any sort of forbearance for a few months or something? If he has an FHA, he'll absolutely be able to do that. He'll get a 180 day reprieve. 
And if that doesn't go well, um, or his life isn't going well after that, he can get another 180 day reprieve for a total of, I did the math just short of a year, 360 days for you. And Dame, after he has, uh, done that vanquished those opportunities with his bank, then yes, I think he should absolutely take a 401k withdrawal knowing that it will compromise his long-term stability, but this is the situation he is. What, what other choice does he have? Short of selling the house and maybe moving into a, a smaller place with the equity that he may have available. Probably not much. This is, this is what is in front of John and his family at this point. Uh, and it's, it's nothing that they should be ashamed about right now at all. It could be because these are circumstances beyond their control. They've still got uh, some some options with the, the 401k money to see if they can get through the situation that they find themselves in. So the one thing I would say is that don't let the vision of your future that you had a year ago stop you or impede you from making this decision because plans change all the time. And though you thought you might uh, have everything laid out and planned down to a T, stuff's changed now. And if that means that you have to make a, a previously unthinkable decision of taking money out of a 401k to, to make ends meet, to make it work right now, you probably should if that's what it comes down to. And, and don't look back. Have that plan, hopefully in the future, to replace that money or or make the changes necessary to get back to that original plan, whether that's reimagining your budget or maybe working a little bit longer. But we're all making changes right now and, and some changes that we never thought we'd have to face. You know, Dame, I want to explore something when we come back. We only have a minute left and I don't think I can get all everything out I need to say about it. But here, here's the concept and we'll stew over it during the break. And it's only about a 90% complete thought. So I think it's the 10% incompletion of the thought that will likely have me uh, alienate people and embarrass myself. But here's the idea. There are certain people in our society that have dealt with financial burdens for a very long time. And so therefore they are hardened. They are hardened and they can deal with it. There are other people that have made all the right decisions and are not used to financial adversity. And it is now upon them and up in their face. And I think that those people are really struggling right now. And I'm not comparing the two and say one's worse than the other. But I think that second group is dealing with some emotions and some head garbage that they're not used to. So we're going to explore that after the break. And then we're going to hit Daniel's question. Daniel from Facebook got us a great question. So we'll do that next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Back on the Pete the Planner Show, Dame, right before the break, we were talking about this idea right now in America as tens of millions of people struggle with a loss of income or unemployment, that there are certain groups of people who have always done pretty well, that have not dealt with a lot of financial adversity, and they're experiencing it in a big way, in a big way, bigly, for the first time, and that that pain is slightly different. From another big group of people, the majority of people here in the United States who have struggled from time to time, but they've found not comfort, but normalcy in their financial struggles. So they are more hardened to the feelings and emotions around that. Dame, do you buy into this idea? I do. I think there are uh, two, two groups. As you said, there's a certain group that will experience something like we're going through and they will say, here we go again, uh, or uh, just same old stuff, different day. 
And then there's the vast majority of us who go through these things once every uh, decade or so or longer in some cases. And we're left scratching our heads and scrambling, trying to figure out whatever it is that we can do to keep ourselves afloat and to take the edge off the pain that we're experiencing that may just be normal everyday life for another group of people. So it's been a really uh, introspective time uh, just to watch how our families reacted as well as the families around us. Dan, let's do this. Let's take a question from Facebook. Daniel, longtime contributor. Uh, my wife is a teacher in Indiana, has a 403B through work. You know what? I just maybe occurred to me. Maybe he doesn't want his information up there. <laughs> well, what the wrong with me? Jeez, Daniel. Sorry. Anyway, my wife's a teacher in Indiana, has a 403B through work that has pretty high fees. We just finished paying off for student loans. Uh, and our oldest just got out of daycare. So we're suddenly feeling very rico. That's rich in Spanish. Expenses just dropped by about $1,000 a month. Should we throw those monthly savings into a Roth IRA for her until we max it out? We make about 90 k combined. So our taxes are pretty low. So I feel like the post-tax makes the most sense. What do you think? I love it. Daycare Rico. They, I, you know me. That's one of my favorite weird realities of having kids in daycare is when they leave daycare and now you've had years to part with this monthly amount that you are so used to not living on and then it becomes available and what you do with it can make all the difference in the world. So Dane, what's your favorite direction for that? Thanks, totally. Daniel, by the it, way. Whatever you do, whatever, whatever you do. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Don't absorb that money back into your lifestyle. Is that the hardest I've ever laughed at you? On air, yeah, I think so. Oh and my people God, got that to watch. I, I have people that know that you laughed at me now and saw it and heard it. So whatever you do, don't absorb it back into your lifestyle. Roth IRA, fantastic idea. The one that we kind of uh, fall back to, paid adver- or paid spokesman sitting to my right, I guess, Coll- on the screen. Co- collegechoicedirect.com. So look, if 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 you always assign money to your kid. At one point in time, you're paying uh, for some mild stranger to change your kid's diaper and to give them snacks a couple times a day. No offense, daycare. To do that. And then when the kid's in school, why not use that same amount of money to fund their college education? So I say, Daniel, do both. Put 500 a month into the Roth and put $500 a month into a, a college savings plan because theoretically... If you've been paying $1,000 a month for daycare for the last four or five years, you likely have not been funding their college education to the extent of which you should have, or, you know, so now it's time to crank it back up. And that's what I would absolutely do. 500 a month to 529, collegechoicedirect.com. That is not a paid advertisement. That was, and, and then 500 to the raw. What's that? Uh, what's that? Five hundred dollars a month come out to for a, a annual contribution there, Pete? That's six thousand dollars to the Roth, which might just happen to be the contribution limit. I, it's magic sometimes. And then, by the way, if I, I believe Daniel to be in Indiana, he's going to get a thousand dollar tax credit by putting five thousand dollars. He'll be putting six thousand dollars into the five twenty nine. But after you put in five thousand, you get twenty percent tax credit. You get an additional thousand dollars. So that twelve thousand dollars of cash flow turns into thirteen thousand dollars of cash flow at tax time. For a moment here, I felt like our show just felt very real and helpful. Can we do it again? 
I don't think so. Oh, well, let's hit that. Let's hit, let's hit that umbrella question that came in on Facebook too. Right. So we're going back to it. I think Tony asked it or Todd asked it. It's a T word. Uh, umbrella insurance. When do I need it? And how much do I need? What do I need to cover? Anything else worth noting? Dame, do you have an umbrella? I do. Do you? I do. Um, both to protect me from moisture in the air and uh, insurance. Yeah, I definitely have an umbrella. Um, and I assume that's where you're going to, or are you being cute with precipitation? No, I was going there too. Uh, so what a lot of people don't understand about umbrellas is they are incredibly cheap protection for you and your family for things that um, well, are going to be out of your control. Something happens and the regular limits on some of your policies don't cover everything for whatever reason that may be. Umbrella is going to kick in and I, a million dollars of coverage, at least in my neck of the woods, somewhere around $200 a year, Pete. I, I don't know. Probably same. I'm guessing down, uh, down central Indiana and probably across the country, to be honest. I think we paid $278 or something like that for at one point in time for a million dollar umbrella. Here's how I always think about it. And by the way, this is going to be a huge mischaracterization of how they work. Oh, these are the best. <laughs> and a wild generalization, which will serve no one and probably hurt you. Mm. It's sort of what I've made my living on. Um, I like to think of it this way. If I get into a car accident and I cause damage and pain and whatever to someone else and they choose to sue me, which is their right, and they probably should, especially if I did something wrong, then if my limits on my auto insurance aren't for a high enough amount and the damage is bad, then my personal assets are at risk because my assets have to satisfy that lawsuit. But if I have this additional protection of an umbrella policy, it protects my assets. And again, Dame, I'm not saying I text and drive, but I've looked at my phone when I drive. I mean, I've been distracted. I got loud kids that won't quiet down or wear deodorant from time to time. And so it's like, hey, what if I accidentally do that? And then it's not that far out of the realm of possibility. Well, it, it is out of the realm of possibility now that it's illegal in the state of Indiana. You wouldn't want to be saying that you're... I'm not a scoff law. No, of course not. No, it, it's actually a, a good example, Pete. I mean, another one would be as if, if, let's say, Pete is running down the road and he's not paying attention. He's he's just focused on that run. And uh, he runs into the side of a Bugatti and causes lots of damage to it. He's just not paying attention. And... Uh, I don't, I don't would you wouldn't have uh, auto insurance there. Why would I run into a motorcycle? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, the other side of this too, I think it actually digs to a deeper part of the question of how my sensibility personally has changed over the last few years. My relationship with my insurance agent just in general is very important to me. <laughs> and I mean, I now list my age as I really like my insurance agent. I don't think people understand, okay, in your 20s, no one gives a rip about insurance. They just don't. You're in, you're, you know, invulnerable and whatever. Uh, and then I also think it's this idea of I feel like I have a lot to lose. I have a lot to risk. And and number one, I want to protect my family. I, I want, I love great advice. My insurance agent gives me the best advice for me. So sometimes when people call those 1-800 numbers or buy insurance coverage online, 
I just don't think you get the guidance you need. You're more or less paying the same price anyway. Get an insurance agent that, and take the time to talk to them. I'll tell you, in my 20s and early 30s, name, I always, when I would talk to an insurance person, I always keep my guard up because I didn't want them to sell me more stuff. Now, we finish our conversation. I'm like, all right, man, what else do I need? You know, that's how my sensibility has changed around insurance. Sucker. I, I am. No, I mean, insurance agents, realtors, uh, a good banker, all these professionals, super important to you. Coming up after the break, the biggest waste of money of the week here on the Pete the Planner Show. Also, some current events. Those are things that are events that are current. I'm Pete. This is the show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show is the Cryon Audio 10 Brabham Audio System. Brabham Automotive and Cryron Audio both have a high value for immersive experiences. And while the worlds of audio and automotive cross paths frequently, they rarely collide for something this impressive. The new audio system borrows some of the style and power found in the BT62 supercar and harnesses it into a handmade setup crafted in Australia that can take up to six months to build. From amps to cables, everything is included, and the end result is said to offer a sound that is only matched by having the artist perform live in your home. Okay, so Dame, this is a speaker. Or uh, it's a system. It's an audio system. What do you think a speaker that gives you the experience of the performer being in your home, what do you think that costs someone? Well, there's a couple different ways to go with this. I mean, I, I know people love their their music and they love their audio and speakers and home setup. Uh, so there's definitely going to be some cost there. But to not have the, the musician in your home means that there's not going to be a big party and people aren't going to be throwing up on your stuff. So there's definitely uh, some benefit there too. So you, maybe you put some implied value there i'm gonna guess uh 20 grand boy damien sometimes you're wrong on this show like in segments one two three and four and sometimes you're right um usually between segments this time you're so heinously wrong that you're gonna possibly get sick on yourself two hundred and fifty thousand dollars is the starting point to get a speaker made by a supercar company that makes it seem like Jimmy Page is sweating on your rug. Nope. Hard pass. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's not even going to fit with my decor, the picture of that speaker that you showed. Uh, It's going to look totally out of place. Uh, Dame, uh, so lots going on in the world of finance this week. Uh, Let's begin with what is happening in Congress as Americans now suffer through unemployment uh, and we make it to the beginning of another month in which rent and mortgage payments are due, Congress has done nothing for the last month. Uh, and by nothing, I mean, they're not even talking to each other anymore. And the latest that I'm reading from Washington is that the GOP now wants to have a very stripped down stimulus bill that helps with unemployment, that helps with um What's the other myth? Oh, uh, small business loans of $500 billion. So they had a $1 trillion sort of commitment to a stimulus plan. 
The Democrats said, no, we want $3 trillion. Then the Democrats said, we'll be willing to go to two. Then the Republicans said, no, we're not going to do that. Then they didn't talk for two weeks. And now the Republicans are saying, all right, $500 billion. Damn, I'm not sure this is how negotiation works. Maybe they're just playing chess and we're playing checkers, Pete. I don't know. But it seems like the first step is to talk to each other. I, maybe that's antiquated, but being able to exchange messages and thoughts with each other um, seems pretty crucial to figuring out what you can do to benefit the citizens of this great country. Yeah, you know, I, I'll say this. Uh, I don't want this to be a both sides. I understand the sensibility of the GOP. Uh, they're fiscally conservative. Let's not kick the can down the road and pay for this later when we don't know how we're going to do it. Do you think that's a fair generalization of their position? I think that's what they're trying to say. Yes. I, I honestly don't believe that they're trying to marginalize anyone. Not necessarily. They're not trying to screw anyone. I just think that they're viewing it at, from a fiscal conservative standpoint of like, let's not go on the hook for another few trillion dollars. I feel like that's what's happening. And I think from a fiscal standpoint, the Democrats are saying, look, we don't really care how much it costs. Let's get help people the help they need. So that's the that's the issue. And I actually see that. And that, that actually makes sense to me. Both sides sort of make sense to me. But I'm sort of done caring with that because people really do need help. Do they need $3 trillion worth of help? I don't know. But I know they need more than $500 billion. Like I said, just come to the table. Let's figure it out. If it's $500 billion, you know what? I'll take $500 billion rather than nothing. If it's somewhere in between, fantastic. Let's do something. We can't. We just had this conversation where people are borrowing from their 401ks to pay for what they need right now. This is a similar situation in, in my perspective that there are legitimate needs in our country by lots and lots of people, be they individuals or business owners, whatever. They need some help and they aren't getting squat from either side right now. So let's figure it out. Can I pull out my crystal ball and make a prediction as to what's going to happen? Please. Good, bad, or otherwise. Like, I don't, like, Dame, you might feel one way I'm about to say, and I might feel a completely different way, but I think this is what's going to happen. Like, you may say, oh, that's good. And I might say, well, that's bad, but this is what's going to happen. President Trump is going to keep issuing executive orders to get these things done. Right? Just like he did the last four executive orders, I, I think he has a giant opportunity to come and say, all right, look, I have, <clears throat> I'm, I'm now I'm editorializing. Uh, I have no authority to do this because I don't control the purse like Congress does, but this is what we're going to do. He's going to keep doing that, whether it's an election technique or not, he's going to do it. And whether I like it or not, I don't. I think he's justified in doing it. And I think it makes a lot of sense. If I were his strategist, I would tell him to do that. Although I'd much rather Congress come to the solution themselves. Why wouldn't you do that if you're in President Trump's place? There's there's no reason. You come in looking like you are going to just take care of the situation yourself. And if one of the parties decides that they want to sue you over it, go for it and see where that takes you and see what, what happens to your numbers at that point. Because nobody wants to be seen in getting in the way of aid to people who need it. I mean, look, again, if I'm a strategist, which I'm not, and I wouldn't be, if I were... 
and I could send out or at least try to send out $3,400 payments to a family of four in America two months before the election, whether it happens or not, why wouldn't you do it? And why would you not do that? Because Dame, I don't think it's right. I think it is the, but it's consistent. Why wouldn't you do that? Because if you get it done, then you've helped people. If you don't get it done, then you see, you can point to the design and say they're being obstructionists. And by the way, he's not listening to this show. So it's not like he's going to take this idea. So no one get upset that I'm giving him ideas. It's not like I'm saying, hey, everybody, here's how you build a bomb. And now everyone's going to build bombs. I think this is what's going to happen. Do you think if this was not an election year that this would play out differently? That's a good question. Can I think about it for like five seconds? You got it. We'll We'll wait. I think it would completely play out differently. Do you? I do. I think if there were not votes in the balance uh, or um, the fear of seeing uh, being seen as being compromising with, with somebody that is your um, enemy and the media, then yeah, this, this probably works out a little bit differently. But there's so much on the line right now that people are just going to hold their ground and be heroes to their party. Oh, man. Let me tell you. And I say this a lot and you never believe me. I really do fancy myself an independent. I like to vote for people in either parties. Um, I'm just cheering for all of us right now. I'm not, I think when you say you're an independent, you're either just a narcissist who just doesn't want to admit you think one thing, or um, you basically say, I reserve the right to cheer for us all. Right. And, and so I don't know which one I am, but that's what I like to say. Dame movie theaters are about to open back up and Cineworld says it had many sold-out shows as those theaters began to reopen after virus closures. (laughs) Cineworld CEO Mookie Grindinger. (laughs) You got to it. I have a friend named Mookie, so I feel bad that I'm laughing at this, but Cineworld CEO Mookie Grindinger told... (laughs) 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 <laughs> oh my god all right here we go I'm, I'm, uh, it's the night oh our show is over oh we're five seconds left in the show all right <laughs> thanks for listening this week i gotta go we'll see you next week right here on the pete the planner show 